so Kim is on a plane someplace. So we're on our own today without uh, the starting question and the train goes off the tracks fairly quickly. But I don't have a perfect quote to start this with, but I have a theme that came up in the process of seeing patients in the last week. And the theme is consistency. That would be a good way to put it. When you get the history from the patient, I was fine until. And then whatever that until was directs the rest of your history and the physical exam and where you focus. Now, we're not doing an annual wellness visit, so it's not what have you done in the last year. Most of FSM practitioners have patients that have symptoms. And the patient came in and said, I was driving a Jeep Cherokee, and that gave me an idea of a Jeep Cherokee, SUV, whatever. And then she said, but it was race modified. And I'm thinking, how do you race a Jeep Cherokee? But what does race modified mean? So when there's a piece of the history or a piece of anything you don't understand, it doesn't cost you anything to ask, what do you mean? What does race modified mean? There's a steel cage inside to protect the driver and the passengers and has a 600 cubic inch, which is like a huge engine. And I came to a stop sign and the traffic in the other direction didn't have to stop. And it's on a hilly country road. And I said, what kind of car hit you? Then she went, stepped back and told the story. I looked to the right. I looked to the left. I looked to the right. I looked to the left. I started into the intersection and this car came flying over the hill and hit my driver's side front bumper. What kind of car hit you? A Corvette. Now, the law of gross tonnage in an auto accident is a heavier car wins, while the Jeep Cherokee clearly outweighed the Corvette. But the Corvette was doing 120 miles an hour and spun the Jeep Cherokee uh, 360 a couple of times, and it ran into a tree. The Corvette spun out and hit a phone pole and burst into flames. And then that was a year and two months ago. It was 14 months ago. Patients, tall, slender, healthy, so healthy. She's never had any prior trauma, doesn't even have a GP, but she's seen a chiropractor and she's seen somebody that does strain, counter strain and massage doesn't go well for her. She's had an MRI of her neck that shows three disc bulges that are touching the thecal sac. One is touching the spinal cord. And 
the continuity thing, the thing that I want you to hear is I was hit at roughly 120 miles an hour. There's a bunch of emotional trauma because the other car burst into flames. There was a fatality in the other car. And she's done EMDR and she has to drive past that stop sign every day when she leaves her house. So the emotional trauma is more or less under control. But when they spin and when they get hit from the side, where does that aim you? Before she got any further into the history, I had written down the ENT that does vestibular injuries, Dostoevsky, and um, Good Samaritan vestibular testing. Now, her complaint is neck and shoulder pain, mid-back pain, and low back pain. All the disc bulges, the physical stuff, there's some imaging that had not been done. But it takes you back to the history. 120 miles an hour, do the math. You've all had to have physics, almost all of you had. And even though the mass of the Jeep Cherokee was heavier, the speed of the bullet car, the car that hit her, gave that car more impact. And the spinning, that aims you towards the vestibular injury because she had an airbag, I'm pointing it to my right ear, she had an airbag go off in her left ear. Airbags deploy at about 200 miles an hour in two-tenths of a second, something like that. Vestibular injury is already what you're looking for. She hands you an MRI with these disc bulges. That means your physical exam will look for the consequences. So you do range of motion in the neck. She's extremely flexible. Plus three. Patella reflexes on both sides. Downgoing Babinski on the right. Upgoing on the left. It went down and then her toes went up. That's not good. Sensory exam, middle of her back. Very hyperesthetic. Bottom part of her face, hyperesthetic and numb. Kim always tells me to unpack things, and she's not here to unpack this. Let me remind you, the lower two branches of the trigeminal nerve have a loop that goes down in the neck to as far as C4 or 5. When the lower part of the face has a different response to the little pokey wheel, than the forehead. So the forehead was sharp. The lower two branches were numb. That's not normal. And she has this disc bulge at four, five, five, six, and six, seven. Hmm. So those two things go together, right? The sensor examine the face, the loop that goes down to C4, five, and the disc bulge herniation at four or five. So those go together and those match with the 
mechanism of injury, which is this whiplash with rotation. Okay. So she had a head injury. She had a spec scan up at the Amen Clinic, and it showed injury in the brain, in the parietal, frontal, temporal, and the PTSS pattern in the limbic system and the midbrain. And that was done sometime last year. Then when I told her, I gave her Dr. Resky's name. She said, I've already seen him. Really? And what did he say? And she said, yeah, I'm in vision therapy. How's that going? It doesn't seem to be changing much. How do you do in Costco? So I asked her all of the vestibular history questions that you get in the core. How do you do in Costco? I don't like that. How about Fred Meyers? It's a big grocery store chain here. Kroger's, for those of you on the other part of the U.S., um, Target, big stores like that. I don't do well. How about reading? She said, I haven't read a book. I used to love to read. I haven't read a book since the accident. So we had a conversation with Dr. Rusky. She's seeing him tomorrow. He didn't put prisms in her glasses and have her do the walking test because it didn't seem to affect her balance at all. But she's very kinesthetic. She's not sports oriented. She's just very kinesthetic. She does yoga. She does a lot of things that train proprioception and balance. She's seeing him to get put into prison glasses because in my world, patients with vestibular injuries are in prism glasses for three to six months before they get vision therapy. And when he and I had the conversation, I said, Tresky, the parts of the brain that you need to train to be successful in vision therapy, those parts of the brain are all injured, according to the spec scan. Now, there was no way he would know that because he was going to be evaluated for the problems she was having with reading. She didn't mention the brain scan or show him the report. And it all goes together. I was fine until. And then you follow that physical exam, supine cervical practicum. And the other clue with her was everything that they do with her neck makes her worse. And no one has done flexion extension x-rays to evaluate the vertebra for stability. And when you have rotational injuries like this, you have to look for stability at the occiput C1. Mechanism of injury, remember that section of the core. And if you don't remember it, go back and look at it. It's that section on the myofascial pain due to ligamentous laxity. And the alar ligaments, when you spin, one alar ligament is going to get stretched and the other one may not. 
Sometimes you can stretch both of them. And that leaves C1 the ability to slide from side to side. She had headaches. And anything they do to relax the muscles makes her neck uncomfortable. She has never been injured. She's not a sports person. She's never been in pain. So she doesn't handle pain well. When it's a three or four, it's very bothersome. So she minds it a lot, but she has no history of having early childhood trauma. So it's unpacking that. You have the disbulges in her neck. Hyperactive patellar reflexes means that the disbulges in her neck are making her spinal cord irritated. Sensory exam down her thoracic spine was very hyperesthetic from about T4 to T10. And so I ordered a thoracic MRI and the physical exam showed that her lumbar facets were more of a problem. And that too, you would expect given the mechanism of injury. You take the history, including what happened. You match that with the physical exam and then you treat what you find. Her case, she had no nerve pain to speak of, just a lot of discs, facets, ligaments. And so I had maybe four machines, concussion and vagus. And I just used the form of concussion and vagus that doesn't have 94 and 94 in it because I didn't want her to react to 94 and 94 till I find out how bad the vestibular injury is. And that goes for anybody. It's history. I was fine until. And then it's the until. So you'll see it in Roger Billica's lectures. You'll see it in Neil Nathan's lectures and books. I'm pretty excited about this year's advanced. That's my next job is to get all of our faculty together. I was fine until. These are my symptoms. When did they start? Oh, I've been sick my whole life. Okay. What did you do in high school? Oh, I played soccer and I was played softball and I was on the track team. So you probably didn't have fibromyalgia or a lot of chronic illness when you're in high school. Oh yeah, I guess not. So when did it really start to impact you? Probably I was about 22. What happened when you were 21? So you focus the history looking for something, continuity. I guess that's the word for the day, continuity. I was fine until, where are you now? What physical exam can you do? What physical findings can you do to confirm what the patient has going on? Do you do urine mold testing? I had a patient that has been chronically ill for some time. And we finally did salivary hormone testing. And she is she has Cushing-like face, round face, difficulty with weight management, a bunch of difficult symptoms. And we did salivary hormone testing. Her salivary cortisol is six times normal. Morning cortisol is 
in range and noon, afternoon, and evening are six times normal. Now, endocrinologists don't tend to like salivary hormone testing, but the medical testing says she's fine. You can look at her and anybody that's looked up Cushing's on the internet would see that's not normal. And with her, it coincides with mold and COVID. So it's continuity. You have this set of symptoms, this history, these physical exam findings, and then treating what you find. Let's get to, oh, Maddie says, I'm starting to refer more and more patients for mold. It's everywhere. And it's depending on which mold they're exposed to, it can be quite impairing, right? The black mold is neurotoxic. So Maddie, when a patient says to you, my legs feel like concrete on the background of overweight. So they are overweight. They have an autoimmune condition, Crohn's, MS, older than 50, both. So it sounds like you have a whole bunch of these patients, male and female, come up a few times in the last two weeks. The patients have presented this way, no statins. So an older inflammatory background, am I including the blood vessels in the legs? What immediately comes to mind when someone says, my legs feel like concrete? Here's a thought. I guess it depends. What does concrete mean? Are they hard to move? The patient is overweight. There's that. The thing I would check is reflexes and tone so concrete gives me yeah it feels heavy speaking of physical exam i would check tone especially the pectineus the brevis the hamstrings and the quads is the tone in the legs really tight and that would make them feel heavy they're hard to move i have this autoimmune thing called came from the mold, the antibodies I have to mold. It's called stiff person syndrome. And there's antibodies that interfere with descending with the receptors for GABA in the muscles. So the tone in my legs used to be really tight. We got it under control by getting me back on mold medication. And David Musnick fixed my leaky gut and we're doing baclofen. Husband has MS. He has increased tone in the quadriceps and gastrox with his concrete legs. So what makes him feel like concrete is, and I speak from experience, but also having now recognized it in patients, it's increased tone makes them difficult to move. And if he has MS, it possible that he has lesions that are in the descending motor pathways and the motor pathways that send descending inhibition of spasticity or tone. So I would try 81 and 10, um, increased secretions in the cord, 
I saw a stroke patient yesterday that has a feeling of being tight on the left side. And she had a sensory motor stroke and a thalamic stroke all at one time. And she feels tight, 81 and 10 and 81 and 92. So increasing descending inhibition in the cord tends to soften this tight tone. In a stroke patient, it was increasing secretions in the sensory and motor cortex as well. So somebody has a sensory motor cortex stroke on the right, their left side is going to be spastic, right? So you increase secretions in the sensory and motor cortex, and you can increase secretions in the spinal cord to help get GABA down to the muscles. And then the sense of tightness goes away. Yes, Maddie, he loves 81 and 10, 40 and 10 will make him worse. You get extra points. I would throw chocolate at the screen. So this is the challenge in um, there's, if you run 40 and 10, so these patients that have increased tone are going to have pain at the joints, especially because the muscles get so tight, they pull on the tendons, and that creates pain. So you think you're dealing with a 40 and 10. You run 40 and 10, it makes them worse. Then you run 81 and 10. So 81 and 10 first. And there are some patients that actually need both, which seems counterintuitive. But I had a patient with radiation to the spinal cord for a spinal tumor when she was three. By the time she was 27, she was ataxic, had full body pain. She was a 40 and 10, but she had spasticity. So she was an 81 and 10. So we had to run 40 and 10 and 81 and 10 at the same time. And it took care of it. So yes, 81 and 10 will work. 40 and 10 will make him worse. Very good. And you'll find this too in transverse myelitis. It's an infection that affects the spinal cord at a certain level. I, and does that make sense? So before I went on baclofen, baclofen is the medical drug that they would give you as muscle relaxant. I was running 81 and 10 on myself eight hours a day to be able to sit here and do emails. And then finally, I just had to do something. So we did baclofen. And then when the baclofen started not being enough, that's when Dr. Musnick did the testing that figured out what was actually going on. I didn't even know this condition was a thing. The stroke patient had a thalamic stroke and a sensory motor stroke and um, this sense of tightness. So we did increased secretions in the sensory motor cortex increased secretions in the spinal cord to deal with the tightness, and then 40 and 89 dealt with the pain. What was odd was that her pain was worse in the neck and down to here, and then one spot along her trunk, one spot in her thigh. And the thing that worked the best was just 40 and 89. So quiet the activity of the thalamus, that dropped her pain from a five or a six, seven 
down to a two. To, it takes about an hour. That's one of those time-dependent things. That was fun. What else? Well, should I s- tell stories or do you guys want to add? Hi, John. Kathleen. Oh, look at all that. Chris. I love seeing the names of everybody that's here. I'll keep talking. Somebody wants to ask questions. I've got the chat and the Q&A up. Hi, Adam. We had so much fun in Hawaii. I got a text message from Derek, and he and Eduardo worked on Derek's mother-in-law. And this older woman just had this big smile on her face. And it's amazing what happens when you're able to change somebody's life like that. So to have that woman walk in with her pain level of six or seven or whatever, and have her walk out of one. Now, she figured out that all the medication they were giving her, number one, wasn't working. Number two, the side effects were intolerable. So she started hunting. She's very educated, very smart. Started hunting for her own solutions and found Dr. Tennant, went to see him, told her to have her root canal out. She had an infected root canal. Looked into her thyroid, looked into gluten, and then she found us. She read the resonance effect. She bought the course, bought her own custom care, and she had already done the difficult stuff. She said, I learned to put the pain in the back of my head. And for somebody with a thalamic stroke, that's an extraordinary accomplishment. She's very tough-minded, but nice, bright lady. And it's possible for her to treat herself and get herself out of pain. I'll have her for another couple of days. That's the other fun part about FSM is being able to change people's lives that way. Maddie, you're back. A friend with no cervical spine trauma has fibromyalgia, postpartum depression, very stressed daily, has three kids, one with undiagnosed pandas, redoing the core to understand this better. What do I run for no spinal trauma fibro? And I think we sell it, right? The fibro workshop. There's a five-hour fibromyalgia workshop that's like everything you ever wanted to know about fibromyalgia. There's five or six different kinds. Cervical trauma fibro is about 40%. Then there's one that's stress-related, basically high levels of stress, unremitting stress. So your adrenal, your cortisol goes up, your gut gets thin, your gut starts to leak. You develop food sensitivities because of the leaky gut, because of the elevated cortisol. Then your adrenals crash, and the food sensitivities are IgG sensitivities. So IgE sensitivities are easy. It's one antigen and one antibody, actually one antigen, one antibody. And you eat a shrimp, you turn bright red and you fall over. That's IgE. It's immediate. IgG antibodies have multiple sites for complexing. 
right? And they form circulating mats of antigen antibody complexes. And the macrophages come and gobble those up. And macrophages have very poor appetite control. So the macrophages eat up all these complexes, explode, and release histamine everywhere. Now, you don't break into hives, but histamine stimulates class C pain fibers. The pain goes up. And once the pain gets above a four into a five, six range, that creates a stressor that sensitizes the brain, interferes with sleep, and does all the neuroendocrine things that we talk about in the core and in this workshop on what causes fibromyalgia. There's some that get it from organic chemical toxicity, some that get it from infection like mold or Lyme. fibromyalgia workshop we have now i have roger bellica doing a one or two hour section on biotoxic illness so mold and lime even root canals can create full body inflammation that ends up leading to fibromyalgia if she had postpartum depression she probably doesn't phosphorylate b6 if you can't activate b6 you you become estrogen dominant, progesterone deficient, and that leads your body down an inflammatory pathway. Have her take P5P phosphorylated B6 or pyridoxine 5-phosphate P5P. It's the active form of B6. And that ends up having a lot to do with your inflammatory pathways as it relates to hormones. Very stressed daily. And I'm redoing it for And you can also check and just see if she has any exposure to mold. But the other question to ask is, when was the last time you felt well? I had one woman who came to a seminar in England and her friend brought her as a demo for the class and she had chronic fatigue and then she described her life and she had five children lived and worked on a farm cooked three meals a day for the children her husband the farmhands And then she had her sixth or seventh child when she was 37 or 38, was in labor for a long time. Her husband was abusive. It was bad enough that by the time she was 40 or 42, she took the youngest child. The older ones were able to be on their own. She took the youngest child, left home, and... I asked her what the child, and she said, I've had chronic fatigue ever since. Chronic fatigue is different than fibromyalgia. Chronic fatigue has swollen lymph nodes, sore throat. So I asked her, do you have any swollen lymph nodes? No. Do you ever have a mild fever or sweats? No. Sore throat? No. So in the back of my head, without 
arguing with her about her diagnosis. It's like, I'm not thinking this is chronic fatigue. So asked her where she hurt, and she said, everywhere. I did her reflexes, and her knees were plus three, which meant something was going on in her neck and her spinal cord. Then I asked her, what was the childbirth like for this last child? She said, it was difficult. I was in labor for quite a long time, and I was pushing for a long time, and they made me do this, and they made me do that. Anyway, in the process of this childbirth, she did a lot of neck flexion and pulling. So she gave herself some disbulges, and she turned out to be just a 40 and 10 patient. So we did 40 and 10, got rid of her body pain, and that was that. Okay, Maddie says about this lady, hasn't felt well since she was five years old. There's a couple of things. Mold is a good question. And what was her life like before she was five? Is there any history of having been molested or abused? Any increase in stress? There's that. Carrie. If you run 81 and 10 first for an hour or however long it takes, can you then go back to 40 and 10 at some point? Rock hard scalenes, joint pain all over, neck issues. 40 and 10 caused increased tone, pain, and headache. Oops. 81 and 10 improved from the feet up. As it does, Carrie, you get extra points, which is so fun. This person also has full-blown Lyme. Trying to figure out how to help this woman with neck and myofascial pain. If you have two custom cares, run 40 and 10 and 81 and 10 at the same time. And then with the precision care, do the supine cervical practicum. I'm not sure at some point if her scalenes are rock hard, that means there's a disc bulge in there someplace, right? Because the scalenes are innervated by anterior slips off the dorsal roots, especially at the levels. Um, of the disc bulges themselves. The Lyme disease, I'm hoping someone is helping her with because that's antibiotics. That's outside my scope too. Carrie's next question was, do I stay away from 40? No, you got to run 40 and 10 and 81 and 10 at the same time is the thing. 40 and 10 will take the pain down, but it increases the tone. But you have to, if you just do 81 and 10, it'll decrease the tone but sometimes it'll increase the pain. Those are the patients where you do both at once. For the Lyme, you can run immune support. You can run concussion and vagus because the Lyme is turning down the vagus. The vagus won't stay on because of the infection, but it's nice to give the nervous system and the digestive system a little bit of a break. The brain will turn the vagus down fairly quickly if the infection is active or even chronic. Let's see. We released a 30-minute podcast webinar on fibromyalgia and nerve pain, episode 98. Oh, this is from Kevin. Hi, everybody. We did? I didn't know you did that. Well done. Yeah, we had one that we hadn't put out there. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. The advantage of having FSM is it gives you a tool that lets you follow the thread 
from the history, the symptoms, to treatment, history, symptoms, physical exam, and treatment. And every time I skip the physical exam or I jump in and I want to go straight from the history to treating, I get caught. I never get away with it. I always miss something that I wish I had done the first time. Okay. Who else has questions? Anybody? I'd rather listen to you guys. Okay. A lot of Lyme patients. Yes. 55 in the tissue. So this is from Adam. I see a lot of Lyme patients in an observation. 55 with X tissue will help the Lyme patient's symptoms while working with the antimicrobial therapies. That is absolutely correct. And treating Lyme, 55 is the frequency to remove mercury, but it's also the frequency for syphilis, which is a spirochete like Lyme is. And you can take whatever tissue the Lyme appears to be affecting. I can remember one seminar we did a long time ago. The practitioner, I think she was tableside instructor, and she had Lyme. She had some set of symptoms, and she said, I don't know where the Lyme is. Good experience. So you'll find Lyme in... I think it's not that common in Oregon. It happens, obviously, but it's nice having that as an adjunct. FSM is an adjunct an awful lot of times. And an adjunct means you add it to whatever else you do. So if you're an acupuncturist or physical therapist or chiropractor or an osteopath, Use you add FSM to whatever else you do, and that's part of the challenge of teaching the core is that we have such a wide range of practitioners everything from massage therapists to um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, nurses, nurse practitioners, DOs, MDs, DCs, naturopaths. And I always leave somebody out. So if I left thinking about that continuum, history, symptoms, what do you want me to fix? When did it start? I've always had it. Okay. From birth? Oh, no. What'd you do in grammar school? What'd you do in high school? So find out when it actually started. What do you have? When did it start? What started it? Physical exam. And I keep beating that drum because there's so many people that don't do physical exams anymore, even neurologists. This patient with the strokes was examined by a neurologist who didn't touch her. That's another conversation. But anyway, so the physical exam, the little pinwheel, check reflexes. Touch the patient. What's tight? What's tender to touch? Is it tight, but it doesn't hurt? Is it hurt, but it's not tight? Is it tight and painful? And then that leads you to the treatment. 
And if you guess right, following that continuum, you end up having a change at the end of the hour. Another patient this week with medial epicondylitis, they call it golfer's elbow, even though she doesn't play golf. She plays pickleball, which sounds like it's really fun. I might take it up. And so she has medial epicondylitis and the MRI of her elbow showed partial thickness, tendon tear in the medial epicondyle, a little one on the lateral epicondyle, a little one in the biceps. She mentioned something about um, spraining her ankle. And she said, I had a problem in my shoulder. And they gave me an injection in my shoulder. And two weeks later, the pain in my elbow started. That means the two of them are related. But when you have somebody who says she's very active and she has all these tendinopathies and what's the first thing I did? I had her put her hand on the table and I had her lift her little finger up and it went to 95 degrees. And I said, can you touch your thumb to your wrist? Yep. And she had eight out of nine on the Baton scale. Nobody had checked her for hypermobility or Ehlers-Danlos. And the only part she was missing was being able to touch both hands uh, to the floor. Every other joint was five degrees, five degrees. Her knees were five degrees. And I run 124 and 77 from neck to feet. 124 from her neck to her wrist, got the elbow to quiet down, and then started working on her subscat because her shoulder was clearly related to the mechanics in her elbow. 124 and 77 was the tool that helped fix it. But the key was tendinopathies, sprained ankle and anybody that comes in with that sort of history, multiple sprains, dislocations of joints, tendinopathies, whatever. The first thing I check is the Baton score. So little finger to 90, 95, thumb to the arm, Elbow, does it stop at zero degrees or is it, does the elbow retroflex? Is it bent backwards? Yeah. And then treat. When you're treating epicondylitis, the MRIs showed the partial thickness tears in the tendons. But the thing that was actually touched was the periosteum, the bone, and the ulnar nerve in that groove because of the chronic inflammation, the ulnar nerve was adhered and that was really tender. That was the other part of my week. So check for, I guess that's what makes it different, huh? We check for vestibular injuries when nobody else does. And now we check for Ehlers-Danlos when nobody else does because we have a way of treating it. We check for vestibular injuries because 94-94 has got about a 20% chance of making them worse. 
We check for tone when nobody else does because 81 and 10 will make it better. It's just fascinating. Once you have a tool that lets you address something, then you have a reason to look for it. Nobody looks for it because there's nothing they can do anyway. Why would anybody check for Ehlers-Danlos? Why would anybody check for hypermobility? Can't do anything. In our world, we check because we can. So that's the tool, right? This is from Kevin. The other one we put out in the podcast feed while we were in Hawaii was the webinar on fatigue. I did that for another group, and it turned out to be really good. I liked it. Yeah, and it wasn't Um, out anywhere. Are we going to put that out? Is it going to be on this podcast at some point? Do you want me to do that? It's episode 99. It's episode 99. I am going to also put it in the group of webinars as well, so you'll be able to find it in both places. Okay, so the fatigue webinar was really fun to do. A little bit different perspective than some of the folks, other folks that were lecturing. It was one of those summits about fatigue. And I look at it a little differently, surprise. And the number one cause of fatigue is sleep problems. Okay, where was I? For Lyme, what antimicrobial therapies do you recommend? It's outside my scope, Carrie. Anything natural, not big on Western medicine, is financially challenged. Yeah, I, I really don't know. When it comes to infectious disease, It's my worst subject because I never sold antibiotics. I know certain classes of antibiotics, but it's not my strong suit. And the people that treat Lyme, we have three things, three lectures in the compendium. Neil Nathan, um, I can see her face. I can never remember her name. Who's the one that did the woman internist from the east coast 2013 i think that was before me anyway and then roger Roger bellica did a lecture on biotoxic illness and they'll have some approaches Oh. oh that makes me crazy though in the compendium if you search for lyme her talk has the name lyme in the title and that'll tell you and as far as i know it requires antibiotics some naturopaths use natural antimicrobial therapies financially challenged that is always a challenge derek i'm missing you too i would love to be back in hawaii maddie do you know how you're obsessed with fsm when you're watching an action movie with your boys Actors are getting injured according to the plot. And you're like, I would run this and this. That is the truth. Alf, Carrie, Alf says, Carrie, look into methylene blue data. And I'll leave you two to do that. Methylene blue. I guess I'll go look it up too. What else? Let's see. Why is it Kowski or something like that? That wasn't our lecture, but. There there are a lot of resources 
and different ideas about treating Lyme disease. The biggest challenge we have with Lyme is that the CDC says that chronic Lyme doesn't exist. So doctors who treat chronic Lyme have the risk of getting in trouble for treating it, in part because it's so difficult to treat chronic Lyme. And Carrie is saying, when you're watching an action movie and they're having fistfights and hitting, getting hit in the head right behind their ear with a gun butt or something, and Carrie says she does the same thing watching the rodeo, especially bull riding. Can you imagine what their lumbar facets are like and their neck facets? There aren't too many bull riders or bareback bronc riders or even saddle bronc riders that are over about the age of 30. They get pretty beat up pretty fast. My brother used to ride bareback bronc, I think. I guess the only other thing, we've got one more minute, which is amazing. Okay, let me see what Alf has to say. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for another valuable podcast. The other thing I want to say is be sure to take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. It's really easy to get so wrapped up in wanting to treat patients and help people because we can, that we forget to take time to treat ourselves. Concussion in Vegas on yourself on a regular basis. And so our FSM and PDI team went to Edgefield and spent an hour and a half in this wonderful lazy river hot tub, then went to lunch. And that's what a staff meeting was. So if I can't be in Hawaii, hanging out next to the ocean, we went to Edgefield in the soap tub. So when we start doing core seminars and two-day practicums and master classes in Troutdale, Edgefield is just right down the road. So we have lots of options. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining us again. Do good things, change the world, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.